My name is Dave Jennings, and I'm the church administrator. I've been working here since February 1. Our lead pastor is Drew Yoon, and he's away this week with his family on vacation. So keep him in your prayers. And I was preparing for this week. I struggled with whether I should wear jeans and a T-shirt. Um, but I didn't. I'm not sure I have jeans, actually. But I was... Um, <laughs> But then this morning when I was putting on my dress shoes, the string broke right when I was going to go out the door. So instead of getting other dress shoes, I just put on these tennis shoes, which my wife says I look foolish. Um, But that's as close as I came. But I'm really glad that I'm here with you today. Now, we've been through a series on Nehemiah that just ended. For those of you who attend regularly, uh, we, we went through a series on the whole book of Nehemiah from the Old Testament, and it just ended. And, and we're going to go into two uh, other series coming up. The, the first one is How to Love, which is going to start, I believe, next week. And then we're going to go in the fall into a series on Beautiful, Disappointing, and Hopeful that Drew will explain to you uh, what's behind that as, uh, as we get going on that. And then we'll end our, our calendar year in Advent with a series there. But nestled in before that is going to be a, a series on giving and generosity. And this week, because it's a, an in-between week, I was told by Drew I could speak on anything I wanted, and, uh, or I guess anything I wanted. And what I talked to him about was doing a message on um, stewardship, which is not the same as giving and generosity, although they can be related. But stewardship's another issue, and I wanted us to talk and look at that a little bit today. And as we eventually get to this giving and generosity uh, series later in the fall, I wanted us to be doing some thinking before then about this issue of stewardship. So I asked you to move seats because when churches talk about money and giving and generosity and stewardship and all that stuff, it can be nervous, you know. They're out to get my cash, and, and we're all in different seasons of life, you know. Um, my, my wife's been at a job 36 years, and she's going to end it at the end of August. You know, the, the company she works with is ending. So we're all in different places, you know, and, uh, and we're sending a kid off to college. And so there's all these different things. But when we start talking about money and resources, sometimes we can get nervous. So I'm going to ask you to leave whatever your financial realities are, your giving history, your charitable gifts, your generosity, all that. Leave it in the old seat for the next half hour while we look at this particular uh, subject, okay? So let's pray, pray here before we get started. Lord, uh, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house and to be led in worship and, and, and to recognize that indeed, God, you love us and you meet us and your presence is here. And so we thank you for this opportunity to worship you, to hear from your scriptures, and to reflect, Lord, on what you would have for us and how you want us to wrestle through uh, these issues of ownership and stewardship. So, uh, Lord, be with each one here today. May your words be spoken, and may you give us ears to hear the things that you have for us. In Christ's name, amen. Next, let's go to the next slide. This is a friend of mine. He's passed away. I think Daryl might know him, but uh, this is Don and his wife, Verna, and they had their first daughter, Diane, there. Don was a, uh, in World War II, and his wife was a nurse, and they met during the service, and after they got out, they got married, and Don was a musician. He had a small band, if you're familiar with that era. Benny Goodman was pretty big, and Don played piano and sax, and, and he, he was really hoping his, his band, you know, was going to take off and make it big. 
And they ended up in Bradford, Pennsylvania. And they lived in a three-floor walk-up, and he was playing bars and gigs, whatever he could get. And I'm not sure what the bar scene in Bradford, Pennsylvania looks like, but it wasn't very profitable. And so they were struggling. And uh, along that time, um, their uh, daughter got sick, and, and she... Uh, was very sick, deathly sick, and the minister of the local church came and prayed for them, and, and she was healed, and she got better, and they started attending church and, and got involved with the church, and finally, Verna said, Don, I know you really, your band's going to eventually take off, but in the meantime, we need more money, and so she encouraged him strongly, next slide, to go down to the uh, local J.C. Penney and fill out an application, and he did, and he got a job in the shoe department selling shoes. So they had some stable income. Well, one evening he went to church, and the minister came up to him afterwards. He said, Don, we have a family in the church where the husband's out of work and the wife's been very, very sick. And I'm asking families to get together and put some food uh, and drop off some food there for them so that we know they're going to be okay. Would your family be willing to put together a box of food? And he said, sure, no problem. He went home, and he told Verna. And Verna and he... um, put the box on the counter, they went through their cabinets. They started picking out some things, canned goods and different things that they could put in this box to take to the family the next day. And uh, in their cabinet was, next uh, slide, was a canned chicken. Now, this is before my time, but apparently back in the day, uh, that time, if you had a canned chicken, that would be like your Sunday dinner. That would be your big meal of the week. You'd get the canned chicken out and uh, for people that were at that economic uh, stratosphere, they would, they would have this canned chicken. And so they saw the canned chicken, and they looked at each other, and they're like, you know, we're really hustling trying to just get by here. Why are we going to give away our canned chicken? We're giving them a box of stuff. We don't have to give the canned chicken. And so they left the canned chicken in the cabinet. They filled up the box. They went to bed. The next morning, Don comes down, get ready to go to work, and that canned chicken is in the box. And his wife's in the kitchen. He looks over at her. She said, I was up all night wrestling with God. I think we're supposed to give away the chicken. (laughs) So he takes the box. He heads off to work on the way. leaves it at the family's house that that the pastor had asked him to. And he went in. He worked all day. About the end of the day, this customer comes in that he didn't know. And so if you work in uh, Starbucks or wherever, you know, retail, you know how it is. that You get to know. They know the customers because you go in, get the same drink every day or whatever. And, you know, you know customers. But this customer is coming towards him across the store, calling him by name. Hey, Don. And he didn't know who the fellow was. And he comes up to him. He's holding this meat-wrapped package. And he said, hey, I was thinking about you and your family and thought you might be able to use this five-pound piece of veal. Don went home, told his wife, took the veal, and they sat at their table and they said, you know what? It wasn't our chicken. It was God's. He just gave it to us to take care of for a while. And they learned a valuable lesson. Folks, I think this story of Joseph is a great story for us as someone in the Bible who God wanted to do great things in and through his life and had given him skills and talents and abilities. But he had to wrestle through and he had to see what ownership looked like. Next slide. This is by way of the internet. Um, You know, a steward is one entrusted with caring for things. And so the job of the supervising or taking, a steward of taking, 
care of something, to manage or look after another's property. By being a steward, we acknowledge we have a master, thereby we are a servant. By being a servant, we acknowledge that we have been entrusted with resources that we have to manage those resources effectively, which in turn means that we are a steward. And so stewards or stewardship is not about your stuff. It's about someone else's, taking care of someone else's. And God gave Joseph, um, you know, a healthy understanding of this. If you look at the next slide, I gave a break to our scripture readers today. The last, while we've been in Nehemiah, they've been reading like entire chapters of many, many, many verses. And, And so I figured this week I just cut it down to six. But this story of Joseph happens over a series of chapters. And the first thing that happens is, He's uh, functioning as a shepherd for his father, Jacob, with his brothers, and they're taking care of the father's sheep. So it wasn't his uh, flock, it was Jacob's flock. So he didn't own it, he was taking care of it. Then his brothers get fed up with him, they're going to kill him, they don't. They put him down in this well, and uh, the, the cistern that's dry, and some Ishmaelites come along, some merchants come along, and they actually buy him. So he's sold off. He's a, now he's a slave. He doesn't even have anything at all. And he's the property. Actually, his life is the property of someone else. Then he ends up down in Egypt, and they sell him to Potiphar. And Potiphar gives him a role in his home. So he's taking care of Potiphar's house. It's not his house. It's not his property. But he's taking care of it for Potiphar. And later in the, that chapter, which we started to read a little bit there, um, Potiphar's wife you know, came on to him. And, you know, he had to withstand that temptation, okay, because it wasn't his wife. He could have said, oh, I'm taking care of things here. But no, he, he, he made the right choice. But again, not his house, not his wife. Then, because of that incident, he gets thrown in prison. Oh, he's a prisoner now. He doesn't have. He's stripped of everything. Now he's in prison. And then after that, as the story goes on, he's got this gift, this ability to interpret dreams. God speaks to him through dreams, and he's able to interpret the dreams of two prisoners that are in there with him. And uh, he tells them, don't forget me. Well, they forget him. And the one fellow forgets him, the cupbearer. And then he, he calls on him later because Pharaoh has a dream. And he says, oh, there's this guy I remember. Go get him out of prison. That leads to Pharaoh saying, we need someone to manage this famine that's coming and take care of it. You seem like you have the gifts. I'm going to put you in charge of that. Again, wasn't his country, wasn't his people. It was Pharaoh's. And then finally, God used him to save his family, to save the people of Israel. Um, and again, not his. They were, they, it was uh, God's people that he was saving. So he went through this, this series of events in his life where he's kept being asked to steward gifts and abilities and positions and roles that God's given him um, that aren't his own. We have to settle the ownership question. This next slide you can put up. I, for many years, there was a freshman class at the college I worked for, and they taught them about time management and personal finance and career choice, and all kinds of different issues. And, and I would go in and do the week that they would do uh, on personal finance. And so I had this exercise I had the students do where I said, if I guaranteed you that I was going to give you a job in your field of study that you wanted to do when you graduate in four years, and you're all going to graduate in four years, right? And they'd say, yes. And I'd say, okay. I guarantee you a job when you graduate earning $100,000, and you make a commitment to charitably give 10% 
So your net before taxes is going to be 90000 How many of you would, would take right now, sign on the line and say, I'm taking that job? And again, these were kids that were school teachers, social work. They weren't in fields where they were going to come out of college and make more than that. Everybody raised their hand. I, taught, I did about 38 sections of that class, I think it was. Had everybody raised their hand on this exercise at this point in the exercise. Finally, one day, I had somebody and he said, no, I will not take the job for 100000 Well, the principle I was trying to teach them works regardless of the number. I just used 100 as a round number and thought it was big enough that they'd all agree to it. So I go to the next slide. So I just added it, went up to the chalkboard. I added another zero. I said, okay, how about a million? And the kid said, yeah, okay, I'll do it for a million. Well, all of a sudden, two kids in the back said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We were agreeing to it when it was 10,000 on 100. We're not giving away 100 grand. That's way too much. If we make a million dollars, we're going to have a lot more stuff to take care of. There's no way we can give up 100. What if we need the money back? Are the people we give it to charitably going to give us our money back? Well, they proved a point, right? Because if you don't understand what you own and what God owns, then... There's no reason to believe that when you make more, you're going to somehow do differently. See, a lot of us think that when I get more time in my life, then I can do certain things with my gifts and talents and skills and abilities. Or if I have more resources, then I'm going to do this. But you learn those principles. Don and Verna had to learn with a canned chicken. That was their test. That was their example. Is it their canned chicken or is it God's canned chicken? So it was interesting. This big fight broke out amongst these students, you know, and I was like, wow. That really, that really kind of proved the point. But it's really not about the second part that's shaded there in yellow, is it? See, I believe that the next slide, that um, we have beliefs that create values that impact our actions in our life. What you believe will create values that will determine what your actions are. And you work those things out, sometimes it's on smaller things, not necessarily the bigger things in life. Um, the next slide is something that I had to wrestle through in my life a little over 20 years ago, I guess it was. See, I thought that if I could get that second line, forget 10%, I'm going to get up over 20% giving. And then there's a point where I basically pay God off. Like, he's going to get a certain amount of my money, then he can leave me alone, right? If I give that much, boy, he's really happy. It's all good. And I went through a series of events where he let me go, Dave, I don't care about how much money you give me. In fact, I don't need your money because I own a cattle on a thousand hills. You have the opportunity to participate me, with me in helping others and supporting the church and doing those kinds of things. But I don't need you to do it. It's a privilege and opportunity. What I really want to know about is the top line, Dave. What are you doing with 100% of what I've entrusted to you? How are you stewarding those things? And what does that look like for you? It's not just what you give. It's with all that I entrust to you. And that was a tough thing for me to have to wrestle through. Um, Folks, we have to settle this ownership question before we can talk about giving or generosity. Is it our money and we're giving God some of it? Or is everything we have from him and then we have to say, Lord, how do you want us to steward this? How do you want to carry it out? I think a key for it is um, really in um, developing a vision. And 
Joseph had this unique gift of dreams and visions and being able to interpret them. But I think we need to get a vision for what is it that God wants to do in and through our lives and all that he's invested in us. Um, next slide. So do you have a, whoops, sorry. Do you have a vision for what God wants to do through your life with the things he's gifted you with? Have you asked God for a vision? What is it, God, that you want to see my life speak? Next slide, that's fine. So for Joseph, he got this vision. But what was interesting is along the way in his journey, there were people that God was using to get him where he wanted him to go or to help him stay on that track. And, you know, Reuben, who was his, uh, one of his brother's older brother, um, he saved him from the other brothers. The other brothers wanted to kill him. And Reuben convinced him, let's not kill him. Let's just put him down in the, in, in the well. Okay, and that led to him being able to be sold. The Midianites came along and they saved him, you know, from, from being stuck down in this thing. They purchased him, which didn't look like a good thing, but that landed him then in Egypt. And when he was in Egypt with, with Potiphar's uh, house, you know, he could have ended up just a servant or a slave out in the fields or whatever, but he was able to see the gifts that he had and the way God could use him. That allowed him to be in the house. Now, unfortunately, it gave him a run-in with Potiphar's wife, but God even used that because then that landed him in the prison. When he was in the prison, he could have been sitting there saying, you know what, why am I even in here? But they recognized his leadership. He got put in a leadership role with the prisoners. And when those fellows had those two dreams, he stepped in and he gave them, he could have said, hey, I'm not interpreting dreams. If God wanted to use me, he wouldn't have put me in prison. You know, he was pretty arrogant when he was younger. When he first got the dreams that, that God was going to um, have his brothers and his parents bow down to him. The way he shared that with his brothers, you know, really wasn't very endearing and, and, and made them kind of jealous, you know, and not for him. But you can see where he's starting to mature a little bit. And here he is in this tough thing. He doesn't know why, you know, this, these guys were looking like that. But he steps in, he uses his gift, he gives them the interpretation. And that leads to eventually... Um, him being able to be put in a place with Pharaoh that carries out God's ultimate plan to care for his family and the people of Israel. And so the question is, who in your life has God used or is he using? And I pointed out to the folks in the first services, none of the people that you see here in this, this list of folks that, that God was helping to move um, Joseph along to where he was going, none of them were priests, Okay. And, and I told the staff that might be bad news for us, you know. Uh, we may be out of jobs. But um, you know, it wasn't the priest or the pastor that was moving them. God was using others, and he had to have eyes to see. You know, some of those folks were secular people. They weren't Christian people. They weren't people following after Yahweh. But they were people that God brought into his life to help move him along. Who's God using in your life? Are you seeing the people that God's placed there that are helping to direct you to where you want to go? The other thing is, maybe God's taking you to a place where you have nothing, like Joseph as well. Um, maybe it's prison, maybe it's the bottom of a well, but maybe it's a place where you're, 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 you, you've, you've lost your work, maybe it's in a relationship, um, something with your family, um, but is there a place where maybe you've lost it? I mean, we all like to think that, that we minister or we help people out of the good things in our life or our righteousness or the, when we get it right, but sometimes it's even through the broken times where God is setting us up to have us be where 
he uh, wants us to be. Have you looked at what are the things that he's given you that may be something as being bilingual? Right now, we're in a place where we have a lot of migrants coming into our city. I know our East Village congregation is looking to help folks that are being sheltered right near that church facility, and they're giving out clothes and they're doing other things. You know, right now, if you're bilingual and you could come alongside one of those ministries and help out, tremendous, uh, tremendous gift in saying, Lord, what would that look like? Maybe you have a specific education or degree or skill or talent. I talked to a woman after the first service and had a wonderful conversation with her and her husband, and she mentioned that she just lost her job this past month. And as we were talking, I was asking her what she was doing, and she was talking about she does some graphic design work. Well, I see some needs for some graphic design work, and we started talking about it and ways in which she might be able to help me out with something. So you might think, you know, oh, that's a negative, but maybe you've got a skill, and God's setting you up to use that skill in a different way through circumstances like that. Maybe you have a large apartment. I heard a story, I think, here of there was someone who wanted to lead a group. And there was someone who had a large apartment. And the two of those folks came together, and now the large apartment was being used because the person who had a small apartment was able to use the larger apartment, and they became a team, and they were able to host a group and help people out. So that might be one way. Maybe you have a car, a timeshare, a vacation. The first car my wife and I got, we were married six years. We lived in the suburbs, and we weren't in an area where there's any kind of bus routes or anything. So you got no buses, no trains, you don't have a car, that could be tough. My wife had to find somebody that would drive her to work, that would pick her up where she worked. When we wanted groceries, we'd walk all the way to this place where we could buy groceries a long way, and then we'd have to get a, a cab to get home, you know, call a cab or whatever. And it was tough. And when I got my first car, I remember I had two friends, two brothers in Christ that were very committed followers of Christ. I remember, I can see it right now, them sitting in that car with me and praying, God, let Dave steward this car well. And over the years, I've tried to use it to take people to the airport, help, it was a little station wagon, help people move, any number of things. But I haven't always prayed that blessing, I, I confess to you. But I've tried to, with whatever car I've been given, saying if there's a way I can help others, I can use it. You know, my wife and I, um, a few years ago, I did this project for the people I worked with, colleagues that I worked with, uh, that was kind of transformational for our organization. And they were very grateful. And at our year-end luncheon, they decided to give a vacation to my wife and daughter and I. And uh, I, I was a little bit of a workaholic, you know. And so one of the people, they had a timeshare. And they contributed the timeshare. And other people contributed money to buy us the plane tickets. And one guy drove us to the airport because he didn't think I'd go. And, 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 and we went on this trip. And my daughter will tell you it's one of the best times we've ever had as a family. At that time, she didn't know how to swim. And this place had a swimming pool, and she swam every day. By the end of the week, she learned how to swim. But she points back to that time. And those people stewarded things they had, and they used it to bless us. For us, our home and apartment, every time we go to a new place, 
We'll have a few close friends over and we'll have dinner and inevitably I'll ask them to pray a prayer of blessing that we'll steward that home. First off, that it would be a safe place for us. It would be a place that would be safe from all the challenges of life and things that hit us. But that when we come home, we'd love each other as a family and it would be a, a safe haven. But also that we could open up our place and we could bless other people with our home through providing meals or whatever it may be. But how do we steward this place you've given us, God? What does this look like for you? Um, who are the people that you could encourage with your life and how you steward your gifts, your talents, your abilities? Um, what does that look like for you? Next slide. Another thing that jumped out at me at this passage was the issue of getting or keeping your house in order. You know, it refers to Joseph and the role that he had of basically running this household and keeping it in order and getting it in order. And uh, verses three and four here, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. That everything he owned for me is that ownership issue of it's all the masters, it's all God's, and we're taking care of it. The other thing that jumped out at me was the word master. You know, there's a lot of names for God. And uh, as we grow in our relationship with God and it develops based on who we are and our background, our family, churches we grew up in, you know, when, when you're with people and they pray, there are folks that will use kind of that same word for God, Lord. You know, every sentence has Lord in it, you know, and you kind of, you sense their rhythm, you know, and, 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 and there are others that call him Savior, or Loving Father, or Emmanuel, God with us, or Almighty God, or Creator God, or God our Provider, or God our Healer, but there's these names that come into our prayer language. How often do we hear people pray Master? There's an old guy I worked with years ago, and every time this guy prayed, he referred to God as Master. He had this voice, you know, it was like, uh, and, and, and it wasn't just he did, it was that you knew that he was living it. It, it. it came from a place deep within him that God was his master. He was following God. He was following the ways of God. I'm going to be honest with you. I've really struggled. I, I don't really like to do this period, but I've especially struggled preparing this message these last couple of weeks because I've had to wrestle through what this looks like for God to be master of my life. And to be honest with you, for me, it wasn't about the giving thing. I don't struggle with the giving thing, per se. But I struggle with this God own everything. Um, God kept putting Joseph in a place where Joseph had nothing. And, and, and he put him there so Joseph would realize, no, it's not about you and it's not your stuff. It's about me and it's my stuff. And I'm giving it to you to take care of. Joseph wasn't just physically, you know, in the house, or whatever, but he was spiritually in God's house. He was tuned in. And that's why that opportunity to, when that woman was coming on to him, that's why he was able to withstand that temptation because he was communing and he was living with a God in a way he knew that what was his and what wasn't. So the question for us is, you know, who's, who's your master? Is it Jesus? And forgive me, I don't want this, I don't want you to leave here today thinking this is about money and giving, okay? But 
you know, Billy Graham once said that a, a checkbook is a theological document. Now, we don't have checkbooks anymore. Now we have transaction drop-downs, you know, in the chase or whatever, you know. But if you looked at those things, does it reflect that God is master and he owns everything with the way we invest and we spend our resources? Again, forgive me for using money, but in the Bible, it talks so much about money. And the reason why it does is because... Uh, God was well aware of the fact that if we're left to ourselves, we'll fill our lives with other things other than him. And many times that has to do with our resources. But he really wants our hearts surrendered to him. And um, his heart is for the nations. His heart is for the sick. His heart is for the lost, for children, for the disabled and the hurting and the poor. And if the way we spend our resources, spend our time... Are we going where God's heart is? Do we find ourselves investing in those people and those things? Um, Next slide. Can you say God is your master? And are you stewarding what he has entrusted to your care? All right, lastly here, your greatest gift. People that are in the fundraising business, they say that your greatest gift is when you die. That's what they say. People in that fundraising business, they say, oh, people who donate money, your greatest gift is when you die. Because when you die, your money goes to one of three places. It either goes to taxes, friends and family, or charity. They say that's your your greatest gift. I don't agree with them. I don't think your greatest gift is when you die. I think your greatest gift is how you live. Years ago, after 9-11, there was a president of a denomination called the Christian Missionary Alliance. I'm from that background. And he was here in New York, and and we were walking in in lower Manhattan after a dinner, and he was talking about the financial needs and people's giving. And, you know, you can just imagine anybody working in not-for-profit, they're always worried about money and giving and all that good stuff. And I told him this story that when I was a kid, we would have missionary convention. All week long, there would be a missionary speaker every night. They'd have programming and everything. I was a kid, so for kids, we had stuff too. Then on Sunday, they would have this thing where after the sermon and that, before we all went home, the ushers would go up and down the aisles, and you were to have prayed about what your giving or your pledge to missions would be for the next year. They had these cards. And the ushers would go up and down, they'd grab the cards, and they'd bring them up front, and there'd be a guy in the front, and he would, he would read out $300. And there'd be somebody sitting here with an old-fashioned adding machine. And they'd read that, $25. $700. And eventually, they'd get to $3,000. Whoa. You could almost feel the room. You know, Wow, somebody gave $3,000. But I said, that wasn't the most powerful thing about the week. And I went to a church that gave a lot of money to missions. They were very generous people. The most powerful part was after that was done, and then they read out the churches committed X amount for the next year to missions. The next thing was they said, how many young people here were challenged this week to give your life to whatever God wants you to do? We want you to come forward. Young people came forward, the missionaries and the elders prayed for them. And what I said to this gentleman, when we were walking, I said, People don't want to give their kids away anymore. People want their kids to make more money than them, have better jobs, 
have bigger apartments, houses, more cars, TVs, et cetera, et cetera. That's the vision people have for their kids. I said, if people were giving away their kids, we'd get their money. Because when we gave money at that church, sitting over here was Mr. and Mrs. Heminger. Their children and family were in Brazil as missionaries. There in the back was Walter Bill. His son was in Gabon, Africa as a missionary. We weren't just giving to some faceless, you know, nameless people. We were giving to people that our church had sent out from our group to go and to do these things. So it wasn't like, well, I won't give to missions this week or this month or this year. We knew that money was needed because these people's kids are out there. We weren't going to leave them there without the resources that they needed. From the time my daughter was five, she's wanted to be on Broadway. I don't know if she's ever going to be on Broadway. But she said to me some time ago, she said, you know, Dad, if I just end up being a worship leader and I marry somebody who's a worship leader and that's what I do, I know you'll make sure I'm okay financially and take care of everything. And I was like... (laughs) I was a little nervous about that, you know. (laughs) But I'm going to be honest with you. I'd love for my daughter to be on Broadway. And you know what? Broadway needs Christians. And if she was, and if she was opening night, I can guarantee I'm going to be there with the biggest smile on my face in the front row. But if she was a worship leader, I'd be equally happy. Fact. I'd be more happy. We need to get to a place where we, we see this responsibility. She goes to college in 10 days. And uh, as I was preparing this message, one day she was asking me about it, and I was saying, you know, your mom's been a steward. I've helped out a little bit too. But I said, you know, taking care of the kids is a responsibility. Preparing our children for their futures, whatever it may be. Not that they become Broadway or a worship leader or whatever, but that they develop values based on a belief system that leads to actions that are honoring to God. So, as a parent, spouse, child, or friend, you may not be able to give your family and friends a new car or house or designer clothes or even an education, but you can steward what you have well and create a model for those around you with what you have. So next slide. What happened to Don and Verna and little Diane? How many of you think that Don's band made it big? He was the next Beatles. Didn't happen, did it? Next slide. 1974, Business Week magazine, I believe, issue. You'll see Don on it being named the CEO and chairman of the board of the JCPenney Company. He never wanted to be the CEO and chairman of the board of the JCPenney Company. He just wanted to have a little band. No aspirations of having a lot of money or doing anything like that. He was faithful where God put him. I won't tell you the whole story of Don's life, but in the early 60s, the JCPenney Company bought a bankrupt catalog company. And in that company, you, there were certain ways you got promoted. I'm sure some of you work in companies like that. You do this job, then from this job, you take this job, and there's just a way you go up the ladder. When they asked Don if he would take over this bankrupt catalog company, and he said, if that's what you think I should do, that's what I'll do. When he was named, everyone was surprised that a guy from his spot ended up going to that role. 
But for those of you who are older in the crowd, you realize there was a time when the JCPenney catalog was a big thing. It changed their company. In the late 70s, our country was struggling, and uh, I couldn't find a picture of him and Jimmy Carter, so I, I went with the Reagans. Uh, but uh, they asked him to redo the consumer price index for our country. It was pulled into incredible places of leadership that God used him. Next slide. Started with a canned chicken. God starts with small things that he gives us. What are the things he's given you? Whether you're like my daughter, you're a teenager here, or whether you're an older person like me, what are the things God's entrusted to your life that he's asking you to steward? 